Hello, it is 12th of May 2018 and this is episode 67 of Scavenger's Horde, a Star Wars podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Kirsty. We're here to deliver a regular rundown of Star's news, analysis and commentary, with a focus on the sequel trilogy and the future of the saga. So Kirsty, how has your week in Star Wars been? Uh, it's been good. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, lots of exciting stuff going on because obviously we've had the solo premiere and people's reactions on social media, which has been exciting, like just to see what people first make of this movie after seeing it for the first time. Like, it's just, yeah, it's, it's real. It's here. (laughs) I know, right? It feels a bit surreal. And it also feels so soon, you know, like the last Jedi feels like it's barely in the rear view mirror, Mm -hmm. like so to speak. And yeah, I'm kind of like, what? There's another Star Wars movie already? It's it's just weird. I got very used to the whole yearly spacing thing. So now that's all like been thrown out. I'm like, ah. Yeah. Do you remember we were at that future filmmakers panel at the Star Wars Celebration in London? And oh, wow. that was when they first officially announced that Oldham was the new Han Solo. We'd heard about it for a while then, but that was like when he came out on stage and it was like, woo, finally. Yeah. But at that time, I remember thinking that that movie was such a far way off into the future and I couldn't even really focus on it because we were all fixated on Rogue One and The Last Jedi. And it just seemed like this movie that we'd never actually get. Yeah, no, that's so true. It really did feel like a supremely hypothetical offering. (laughs) Um, And yeah, it's just really weird. And also to think about how much has changed. Yeah, there was Lord and Miller on the stage there. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Which is a bit embarrassing in retrospect. They weren't at the premiere, right? I don't think so. I haven't seen any pictures. George Lucas was there. <laughs> I was thinking it'd be so, so awkward for Lord and Miller to be there. Can you imagine if um, they bumped into Kathleen Kennedy? That would be <laughs> ugly as hell. I wouldn't blame them if they didn't want to go. No. That would be one invite I'd happily turn down. <laughs> I mean, I can't remember where I saw it, but somewhere it said this week that um, Ron Howard shot about 70% of the new movie. Yeah. Yeah, it's mostly his. Yeah, exactly. And I think they're being very gracious about it, to be honest, in terms of how they've been speaking about the situation and what they've been saying about Howard and stuff. They've just been good guys. So God bless them. It's probably the best strategy for their own careers too, right? Like just, Mm. if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. (laughs) Yeah, this is very true. (laughs) Yeah, you can't shoot yourself in the foot in Hollywood. Like, otherwise, you never stand back up again. Mm-hmm. Right, so then I think the first thing we want to talk about are those first reactions to this solo premiere. And here we have a roundup that Hollywood Reporter did, but that I'm going to crib off. I don't know if I should, like, just point out that if people don't want to even hear any reactions if they consider those spoilers, they should probably just stop listening to us because we're not going to go into any of the actual spoilers for the movie, but people saying that they liked or disliked it or whatever that might be a clue in and of itself for as they're talking about certain elements like they loved this performance and didn't like this one so much i know at this point we're like two weeks out some people are going to just be trying to avoid everything yeah no that's very fair (laughs) yeah so basically i wouldn't describe any of what i'm about to read out as spoilers at all they are just impressions of the movie but obviously if you want to know absolutely nothing then please just skip this segment Right, so then the first response is from Kate Erbland, and she says, It takes a bit for it to find its feet, and for Alden Ehrenreich to turn on enough charm to make you forget he's not Harrison Ford. But once it kicks into its, hey, let's make a crew, and yes, also do a high stuff, it totally flies. I think that makes sense. It reminds me a bit of Rogue One, so I think a lot of people found that that movie like, got off to a very slow start. But then when it got into its stride, it really did, and it became very enjoyable. Yeah, I think for the standalones, I'm going to have to do a certain amount of setup, whereas with the trilogy movies, well, the crawl helps, for one. That kind of situates mm. you and serves that purpose. But to an extent, there's like this existing schema where you know where you are and you know what these yeah. stories are about, whereas the standalones are a bit more like... This is a totally different corner of the galaxy and a totally different kind of story, so... Yeah. Then we have Mike Ryan. It does take a bit to get used to Alden as Han, but after 30 minutes or so, your brain adjusts. Also, I've now finally seen Clint Howard in a Star Wars movie. (laughs) 
I, I think that makes sense because I think overall these comments are very positive about Elden, but there is like this common thread where people are like, yeah, it was a bit hard to get used to him at first. And I don't think that's in any way like a criticism of his performance or what he did with the role. I think that is just inevitable because, yeah, we've all had Harrison Ford in our minds for decades and it takes a while to come out of that. <laughs> exactly. If anything, I think it's an endorsement of the performance because it is like, yeah, you come away from it believing that he's Han, but at first it's like, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. It's just a bit different. Exactly. You're right. Honest. Yeah. It's quite a lot of praise, really. Then we have Stephen Weintraub from Collider. I figured if Disney Studios was willing to show Solo a Star Wars story a few weeks before release, it must be good, and it absolutely is. Film is a blast and a welcome addition to the Star Wars universe. Ron Howard, you did a great job. Congrats. Oh, that's very nice. That's definitely the most effusive so far. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't give anything away, obviously, but just that he enjoyed the movie and thinks everyone else will too. Yeah given us those nice fuzzy feels. <laughs> then we have two tweets from Chris Taylor. Oh, Frank the Maker. It's good. It's so good. <laughs> and then, this is the grungiest, most grunt-level blue-collar Star Wars ever, and I am here for it. That's not surprising to me, given what we all know Solo is going to be about. It's going to be about this like criminal underworld. It's not going to be about like Jedis and lightsaber fights and stuff. Um, but I do think that's interesting. I'm very curious to see how the wider audience responds to that, to be honest. Obviously, people really like accepted and took to Rogue One, um, which is kind of a similar thing. And that is not about the Jedi and the Sith. It's very much its own separate story from that. But this is like at a different remove again, because it's more about that criminal underworld, whereas Rogue One is about the rebellion. And yeah, I'm just interested to see how much that's embraced. Yeah, I think people can probably anticipate that because it centers around Han Solo, who obviously is, you know, scoffing at the idea of the Force when we first meet him and everything. But um, yeah, like you say, it's quite different from Rogue One because you still had people like Darth Vader there bringing in that fantastical kind of thing. You know, it still had that classic Star Wars element. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's quite a departure, but hopefully if it's executed well, people will be on board. Exactly. Then we have Angie Han. Alden Ehrenreich is the real deal. Fandy Newton is who I want to be when I grow up. And Phoebe Waller-Bridge's L3. Well, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> I think that's all very positive about those three performers. And that's I really good. So. so I really like Angie Han. <laughs> I'm really excited about L3. So yeah, I hope that's a good yeah. thing. Yeah. And I've seen other people say they really loved her. So yeah, I'm very excited for that character. Then we have Jermaine Lucier. Solo a Star Wars story is a goddamn delight. It's a non-stop adventure packed with way more emotion than you're expecting. You'll have a smile on your face the whole time and leave eager for more. Wow, that's very strong praise. Yeah, this is what it gets me excited. Just like this idea that it's supposed to be fun. Like it's yes. just going to be a fun Star Wars movie. Exactly. And delight is a great word to use. If it's delightful, then I'm on, totally on board. I want that for my Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Then Clayton Sandell. Boom. Solo, a Star Wars story. Loved it. Stay off the internet. Avoid spoilers. Great job, Ron Howard and cast. Very vague. The only <laughs> thing that's really informative there is that, well, there are clearly things to spoil. <laughs> um, because I know some people are thinking, oh, it looks very predictable. It looks like you can just tell exactly what's going to happen from the trailers. But I'm sure there are going to be some twists and there are going to be some twists and turns, and that seems to be what that's alluding to. Yeah, I think it's good advice to tell people to avoid the spoilers because I'm already seeing some people talking about them on Twitter, and it's like, please don't do that. Yeah, you know, we still have two weeks before most people can see this movie. If you were lucky enough to be invited to the premiere, please be gracious. Yeah. I saw someone put up their full spoiler review. Oh, come on. Um, Like, literally within hours of the premiere. And it's like, why? Why do you do that? Well, I know why they do it. They do it for the clicks, but oh, yeah, it's but so selfish. Yeah, but people are going to go and see the movie anyway. Like, Yeah. <laughs> and to be honest, I really sincerely hope those people never get invited to another premiere again, because that is such a massive breach of trust. They invite you to these things on condition that you're going to be courteous and not go out blabbing about everything. Exactly. And these people don't get that. Kevin Palloway. 
Solo a Star Wars Story is really good. <laughs> Fun as hell. It's a straight intergalactic heist movie. Kind of refreshing to see a Star Wars movie without a Death Star or the Rebellion's fate at stake. Alden Ehrenreich is super impressive as Han, but L3 might be my favourite new character. Like, one of the most interesting threads running through all of these is that Alden seems to be getting mentioned even more than, say, Donald Glover as Lando. And I have seen lots of people loving Donald Glover as Lando, but I am really, really pleased to see Alden getting singled out for a lot of praise because, yeah, people were so full of trepidation about him and how he would approach the role. But yeah, it seems like he really did a good job. And so I'm really happy for him. Same. You know, I realised that a while ago there was this weird false dichotomy going on in the fandom where people were like, well, why wasn't it a Lando movie? Donald Glover is perfect as Lando, but we don't think this guy's Han. It's like, we're probably going to get a Lando movie. They have to do one of these every year now. Mm. Um, if, If he was great in the movie and people think he stole the show, some people do, then that's great. We'll get a Lando movie at some point. It's not an either or situation exactly everyone wins guys (laughs) we should want all these performances to be good yeah we have star wars content up to our eyeballs so enjoy it exactly so much star wars right jackie jing got out of solo star wars story and i'm completely flawed this movie seriously holds up i was on the edge of my seat and had so much fun watching it interviewing the stars of the film tomorrow cannot wait Oh, it's just lovely seeing all this positivity. It is. It makes me feel happy and like warm and fuzzy inside. Then we have Joel Mears. Wow, just come out of Solo Star Story and can confirm it's kind of a blast. Donald Glover was as perfect as expected, but Alden Ehrenreich has swagger to match and spare. He sounds surprised. <laughs> he does. It's like, whoa, they actually chose... A good actor? This is amazing <laughs> to me. Yeah. Oh, goodness. Because people really need to learn that it's not about being a perfect physical match for Harrison Ford. It's about just being able to sell it as a performance. And it's clear that Alden managed that, which is amazing. Yeah, I know that miscasting does happen, but I think so far, the Disney Star Wars movies, everyone has been cast very well. Yes. I don't feel like they would make such a critical mistake. They must have thought so carefully about who would be the new Han Solo. Yeah, exactly. It's like everything rests on that, basically. Eric Eisenberg. Solo, a Star Wars story is... Dot, dot, dot. Fine. It's slow to find its footing, but picks up in the second act, and it's definitely fun. Has the occasional prequel problem, answering questions I didn't need answers to, but also some fun references. Overall, I liked it, didn't love it. That's perfectly reasonable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not everyone is going to love it. And I hope people feel okay expressing that they didn't love the Star Wars movie. Yeah, exactly. And it's fine for these movies to just be fine. You know, you're not going to knock it completely out of the park every single time, and especially not for every single person in the audience. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of people who clearly love this movie. But there are also some people who didn't feel quite as warmly about it, but they did still say that they enjoyed it and that there were things to like. So I think at the very least, people are saying it's decent. And I think there are more people who are saying they really like enjoyed it and loved it. And I, I think that's all good. It's like a spectrum of positive opinions, just with varying levels of positivity. And that's healthy, I think. Yeah, I think when you're looking at first reactions, you also have to accept that it's going to be a while till it shakes out and we get the general consensus. Yes. Like, it took a while for the dust to settle after The Last Jedi as well. And to- yeah. In some respects, it's not settled. <laughs> People are still yeah, going to argue yes. about things and, and feel very differently and be quite angry about certain aspects because that's what fandom's like. Yeah. And it's also important to say that with The Last Jedi, the social media reactions did not in any way capture the like overall reaction, also encompassing the fan reaction. Because I think the tweets coming out of the premiere, they were very very like positive mm-hmm. like some people saying it like rivaled empire and these kinds of comments and obviously as we now all know it was much much more divisive than those kinds of tweets would lead one to expect um and so yeah it's going to be interesting to see how all of this pans out once the movie's on general release and everyone has a chance to have their say mm-hmm. yeah i actually don't remember when we got the reactions to the last jedi that first night i don't remember seeing anyone say i hate it this ruined star wars 
because yeah. that would be like a very negative thing to express after just seeing a new Star Wars movie. Like, I think it takes a while for people to figure out how they feel about things. Yeah, that's very true. Right, then we have Wendy Lee Zaney. Solo, a Star Wars story, has a light tone and some great action sequences. There were great moments, but some were a bit too on the nose for me. The chewy hand bromance is the thing to watch for. Again, like a little bit less positive, but she clearly still enjoyed it. And I like that she's singling out the chewy in hand stuff. Yeah, I'm anticipating the idea of some of it being on the nose. Because at the end of the day, these are movies primarily for kids. So there's yeah. going to be a certain amount of cheese, that Star Wars. Exactly. And I hate to say it, but to a certain extent, a young hand solo movie it's always going to be kind of like a box ticking exercise in that, oh, Kessel Run. Oh, Han and Lando <laughs> yeah. need to meet. Oh, Han and Chewie need to meet. You know, it's going to have to do all those things and they are going to be expected and inevitable to an extent. Mm-hmm. So I just hope it balances that well enough with some freshness and surprises. Exactly. Right, then the final one we have here is from Peter Serretta from Slash Film. Solo was a blast. The Kasdans nail the character of Han Solo. Yes, the story is a series of expected events, Han meets Chewie, etc. <laughs> That's clearly what I was thinking of. <laughs> but none of them happen as expected. Yay, what I wanted! <laughs> Stay away from spoilers. Big Marvel-level shit that will make you wonder where Lucasfilm is headed next. That's very intriguing to me. Like, what yeah. do you mean by that, Peter? <laughs> Well, I read this and thought that he might be talking about how it's going to set up future stories for Han Solo, because I don't believe this is the end of Alden playing Han Solo. No, I'd be surprised. Yeah, I feel like these standalones probably aren't going to be total standalones. You know, like they've got these, they've gone through all the effort of finding these perfectly cast actors. Um, they set things up for this first movie and then we know that they're going to be making a movie every year. It's away from the Skywalker saga, but I feel like they're going to try and set up these various aspects over the galaxy and then create almost sagas within themselves that then connect to the wider stuff, like he's talking about with how Marvel do things. Um, yeah. So I feel like it's going to provide a lot of setup to other things as opposed to just neatly wrapped up with a bow. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. I think that's the end of the reaction ones you've got here. Yep, that's right. Um, am I missing any that you particularly wanted to discuss or bring up? I don't think so. You've got a good cross-section here because there was a lot of positive excitement and people loving it. And then there were people who were like, I don't really know how to feel about it yet. Like, it was good, but it didn't blow me away. Yeah. Yeah, but I haven't seen anyone who said that they hate it. yeah (laughs) exactly which is the most important thing however unlikely it is that someone would leave the premiere with that reaction (laughs) yeah well good stuff i'm excited to see this movie and i'm jealous of everyone who got to see it already (laughs) yeah exactly and it's going to be really interesting to see the next wave of reviews i think on monday because Mm. that's when it shows it can then the full review embargo lifts as well so that's going to be another like surge of responses to it so that'll be interesting <laughs> that's when you have to get really careful because remember when the last jedi came out and i think it was variety like posted a review and it had spoilers in it and they didn't <laughs> warn people that's really bad yeah. i remember recently when avengers infinity war came out uh, yeah i know it was forbes and they put out an article that literally just did like a list of all the main spoilers in no. infinity war Why? literally within hours of the first press screening so so bad (laughs) they clearly just wanted those clicks you know but yeah as Kirsty says be careful because i i think to be honest it's all already out there because the first time it goes on display to like a full public audience you've opened the floodgates essentially you can't put the genie back in the bottle right so yeah just tread carefully my children (laughs) um right The next story we want to discuss is that we have some more information on Jon Favreau's live-action TV series, which is to take place seven years after the Battle of Yavin, not Return of the Jedi. (laughs) So basically, to explain, there was a bit of confusion with the reporting, because the first we got from this was a tweet from Dan Casey at Nerdist, and that tweet read... John Favreau confirms that his live-action Star Wars series takes place seven years after the Battle of Endor between Return of the Jedi and The Force Awakens. will feature all new characters using cutting-edge tech a la The Jungle Book. 
basically became clear that that tweet was somewhat misleading because what Favreau actually said is that it takes place seven years after the Battle of Yavin. The easiest way I can think to explain this is that if it were seven years after Return of the Jedi, Ben Solo would be about six. And because it's seven years after the Battle of Yavin, Ben Solo will be about two. So it's going to be around the time of the present day aspect of Last Shot, if you read that book. Exactly. That's the best reference point. So, yeah, now I've got all that blather out of the way. How do you feel about this, Kirsty? Are you excited that this is the time zone they decided on? Yeah. I, first of all, I think this is a good uh, indicator of how people shouldn't take tweets as like the be-all and end-all of something being reported, because when people are using social media quickly while they're at a premiere and they want to get a scoop... It can mm. sometimes contain misinformation and not intentionally on that person's part, but they just maybe misunderstood something an actor said or just wasn't thinking about it as they were tweeting and made a mistake. Um, mm. So this this did change things slightly. Um, and I wondered about the phrasing of it when he says, we'll feature all new characters. Mm. The, where the emphasis are, is in that phrase, it's like, does he mean that all of the characters will be new? Or does he mean that some of the characters will be all new to Star Wars? <laughs> yeah. So it's not quite clear to me. And I don't know if there was more information in the fall article. Mm. But maybe they're probably just not ready to announce that in key detail. Yeah, I do think it was very much like comments made casually, like when this intrepid reporter went up and tried his luck. Um, and to be honest, I'm surprised John Favreau said as much as he did. Mm, me too. Um, because, yeah, there is quite a lot of meaty stuff to chew over here. I especially like the way they've set this after Return of the Jedi, because that does still feel like such a barren period in the timeline. And, yeah, like, I feel like I've seen more than enough of the lead up to A New Hope now. And in the comics especially, there's there's lots of stuff on that gap between A New Hope and The Empire Strikes Back. So I, I'm totally cool with not getting more content in that time zone. And I'm more than happy to be getting stuff after the rebellion has succeeded and the Republic is being set up again. Because that is an interesting time in galactic history to tell a story when you think about it. Because you very much have this fledgling democracy where it's just finding its feet and setting itself up again. And I think we have rumours indicating that it might be a bit more like a gritty underworld sort of thing. And if that's the case, then I do think there's lots of potential to tie that into the political landscape and kind of show how that facilitates all these like murky goings-on like among the lower echelons of society if you will what do you think yeah i'm glad that they were finally getting to this point and we just had to wait for it because now we're two-thirds into the sequel trilogy and that was kind of built on the mystery of what happened between return of the jedi and the force awakens because it was like well how did all of these beloved characters get to this point because we thought they were going to have a happily ever after and things Mm. fell apart and that's kind of embodied in the character of Ben Solo Um, so yeah like this is all going to be around that time period where Luke had just you know saved his father and that the Empire has supposedly been defeated but we know that the First Order is there in the shadows gathering strength Mm. so I'm really excited about this yeah, definitely. And there's actual real potential to have someone like Snoke show up as a character in this. I know that might seem a bit wild <laughs> as a suggestion, but if you think about it, like when the First Order was in its infancy and like building up its resources, I'm sure there must have been lots of dealings with these like underworld types, you know, in order to build up their resource base and to like get a foothold essentially. So I would love to see that sort of thing seep into things. I think that would be really interesting. But I'm not sure if they'll go there. If we got live action Ray Sloan, I would be very happy. Oh, wow. That'd be so, so cool. I feel like that would make sense if if it's going to have some level of focus on how the First Order rose from the ashes of the Empire. Like, I feel like, why not have Ray Sloan there? Because she was pretty important in the books, at least, in, in the formation of that. So... Yeah, no, that'd be really interesting. You could also have like absolute monster of a small child, Armitage Hux, mm-hmm. like wreaking or at least havoc. Hux's dad. Yes, Hux's dad. <laughs> and it could be that their ultimate chance to finally introduce some um, Armitage's like evil robot nanny. I don't remember her. 
Was that a thing? I think it was ultimately removed from one of like the canon books, like about like kids basically going on adventures. It was like junior like novels essentially, like about these young kids, and one of them was originally going to have a cameo from Armitage because it had his dad in it as a character, <laughs> but he was cut out. Like a lot of the kids obviously have droid nannies, but it was an evil droid. I think it was kind of the idea that. Well, it's a droid that's employed by the First Order to look after this, like, evil child. <laughs> as much as any child can be evil, of course. And so, yeah, it is going to be somewhat sinister and malevolent. I don't think it was, like, evil and that it was trying to kill Armitage. Okay. <laughs> I'm just curious about how it would be evil as a droid. <laughs> I need to see that, because I'm like, well, I can't really picture what's going on there. I think maybe, like, imagine a disciplinarian. Okay, so it's just like a strict droid who's trying to teach him etiquette and stuff. But I think in the timeline of the novel, like, Armitage would have literally been a baby. Okay. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, I need to look into this. Yeah, I need to know more about these evil nanny droids. Okay, I- I'm literally typing this in now. Armitage Hux, nanny droid. Okay, right. It's Luckily, it's on the Wikipedia page for Hux. That's very convenient. Okay. Oh, and it's actually a Jason Fry book, Kirsty. So okay. there's significance. So basically, the book that's been talked about here is Servants of the Empire, the Secret Academy. Oh, wait, this is the one where you have Hux's father saying that they took like inspiration from the Jedi with the stormtroopers, right? Yes. Okay. Exactly. So this is Jason Fry talking about the book. I'd imagined Sarah. So that's the character from the book I presume catching sight of a red haired baby in a hover pram pushed by a sinister nanny droid but that wound up feeling like a reference for a reference's sake which I've come to believe undermines storytelling instead of supporting it oh I see so it's not actually part of the story it's just a concept that was scrapped yeah sorry okay, I thought sorry. I made that clear sorry Sorry. okay fine yeah so chances are they would go in a completely different direction with Hux's backstory <laughs> But don't you want it? Not really. <laughs> I don't like the idea of evil nanny droids, like someone intentionally programming someone who looks after their child to be evil. <laughs> How strange. Like a demented Mary Poppins. <laughs> yeah, that just doesn't make any it. sense. But whatever. Uh, that really tickles me. Anyway, okay, chances sorry. are it will incorporate all these new characters and we won't have anyone we recognise, but... That might be good in and of itself anyway, so more more new characters for the win. Yeah, I definitely think at the very least it will 100% focus on new characters. I don't think any of the main or even significant supporting characters will be characters we know or have seen before. I think there's a chance that we might get like cameos from or very minor recurring roles from characters we already know. So like maybe like Mon Mothma appears on like the Hollow Net or something. Someone suggested to me the other day you could have Genevieve O'Reilly come yeah. back, which would be pretty cool. Exactly. I would like to see like, an address from Mon Mothma. That would be really cool. Yeah, it's a very interesting time period for that kind of thing, isn't it? And that's what was kind of covered in Aftermath, that the New Republic had a ton of its own problems. They didn't really know exactly what they were going to do after the Empire fell. Mm. Again, this feels lazy, but it's literally just because we don't know anything about these new characters yet, so I can't even begin to speculate about that. But in terms of existing characters that we know would be about and active in this part of the timeline, who would be on your wish list for who you'd really like to see or who at least would feel right to appear in this? Well, I I think we're bound to get references to Han, Leia and Luke. But yes. in terms of actually seeing them, I have no idea because that would involve recasting all sorts of um, I don't know yeah I'll tell you what I would like I would like to see a story about free criminals who hatch a plot to steal Senator Organa's baby and then extort them for money this sounds like the EU do you know how many times the solo children were like <laughs> put in mortal danger because we people wanted to hold them ransom yeah, yeah, but hear me out, hear me to the natural end point of this. Um, so these free like criminals, they're all like a bit lovable and incompetent. They steal baby Ben Solo 
Um, but then, like, through a series of wacky hijinks, because he has the force, like, he's able to, like, outsmart them at every turn, and they kind of lose the baby, and they have to, like, trace him through Coruscant or something, and it's like babies day out, but with Ben Solo, and he has the force, and it would be a great way to avoid recasting any of the adult characters, because you'd just need, like, a random toddler, and then all the new characters, and it would be hilarious. So it's like Ben Solo, Home Alone. Yeah, <laughs> have you not? Have you not seen Baby's Day Out? It's no. Great. <laughs> so no, I haven't. It, it's literally that plot. It's literally okay. a bunch of criminals steal a baby, and the baby escapes, and they spend the whole movie trying to get it back. <laughs> it's really uh, funny. I'm just imagining the horrible parenting discourse that would come out of that of people <laughs> acting like Han and Leia are the worst parents ever, and I'm already tired. <laughs> I've got like a true devil may care attitude towards these things. So, so basically, John Favreau, if you want me to write a script for this scenario, or at least do like a pitch, then like hit me up. <laughs> Contact the scavengers horde email address, please. <laughs> yeah, at this point, we're just hungry for more details because it's like they give us these little things, and it's like, well, please, we want more. We want to know. So yeah, yeah, exactly. In- introduce us to which characters we'll be focusing on, or whether it's going to be with the rebellion, or you know with the new republic or with the first order like what's the angle going to be where's the focus exactly we're voracious right then we can move on i think to the next story that we have here and that is that there is a new report from the wall street journal giving some new deets about colin trevaro's dismissal from Star Wars Episode Nine, This is kind of like a side thing in an article that's very much about how Lord and Miller came to be dismissed from the Solo movie. But that's all stuff we've heard a million times. (laughs) (laughs) So it's really not worth repeating because we'll just sound like a broken record. But there are some new tidbits here. So this is what they have to say. Miss Kennedy was a fan of Mr. Trevorrow's work from his independent film Safety Not Guaranteed and recommended him to her husband, Frank Marshall, who produced Jurassic World. Soon after the dinosaur blockbuster was released in 2015, Mr. Trevorrow was hired to write and direct episode 9 and successfully pitched Miss Kennedy, Mr. Horn and Disney chief executive Robert Iger on his vision for the sequel, said the person with knowledge of his work. But Miss Kennedy was unhappy with drafts Mr. Trevorrow co-wrote and one written by Harry Potter and the Cursed Child playwright Jack Fawn for him to direct. Mr. Trevorrow wasn't satisfied with Mr. Fawn's script either and asked to try again, the person close to episode 9 said. But Miss Kennedy instead fired Mr. Trevorrow last August. Lucasfilm considered rehiring Mr. Johnson, a person with knowledge of the matter said, though the director said there were no serious discussions. Instead, Mr. Abrams took the job after Miss Kennedy called him following Mr. Trevorrow's exit. I had a bunch of ideas from the beginning, back on Seven, of where the story would go, said Mr. Abrams. I just never, in my wildest dreams, thought I would have a chance to execute them. So, what stands out to you here, Kirsty? Um, I'm happy to hear that JJ had ideas from the beginning, because, I mean, that makes sense. If you're coming up with the beginning of a story, you have to have an idea of where it could go. Yes. Even if you know at that point you're not going to be the one executing that. But I'm happy for him. He seems excited that he gets to do that now. Yeah. In a way, it feels like oddly cruel to juxtapose like JJ being like, oh my god, I'm so excited, this is so amazing, with something like, Mr. Trevorrow tried to write another script, but Kennedy fired him before he could. <laughs> I don't feel bad for Colin Trevorrow. <laughs> Yeah. He's still out there making multi-million dollar movies. Like, oh, boo-hoo. Yeah, no, he's certainly not suffering. Let me get out my tiny violin. Yeah. Like, I am interested, though, by the fact that he asked for another chance, but Kathleen wasn't having any of it. Like, that's slightly, like, juicy to me. It's like, ooh. I like all this, like, backroom gossip, basically. Yeah, it just seems like his ideas weren't good enough. Exactly. She'd clearly, like, lost confidence in him by that point. I mean, remember when we were talking about Jack Vaughn when that news first came out, we were like, this doesn't seem to bode well that they have to bring in a new writer to work with him now. Mm. And sometimes, yeah, they can come in and they're working with existing ideas that that director feels very strongly about and won't let go Mm. if they they can't come up with something that's completely new. Um, Yeah. Yeah, just didn't work out. Exactly. And it's interesting to me because... 
I recently saw Wonder. Did you see Wonder? No. It's about a little boy who has a facial deformity and it's just a very simple story of him and his family and just them living their lives, basically. And that was written by Jack Fawn and that was really, really good and really, really strong. Mm. Um, So that to me shows that he has a great deal of talent and he can craft a really good story. So I do almost wonder if there was just something fundamentally broken with what Fawn was given to work with and they just couldn't get it right basically that seems to be what happened yeah i mean isn't he working on his dark materials for the bbc so i yeah. i would hope that he's an accomplished writer because i'm excited for that yeah no jack fawn has like a crazy list of writing credits that are just in process right now so like he's doing a new adaption of the secret garden he's done the screenplay for a sandman movie based on like the neil gaiman graphic mm-hmm. novels He's done Major Pettigrew's Last Stand, whatever that is, and then his dark materials, and then a whole bunch of other things where I don't even know what they are, so I won't talk about (laughs) them. So, yeah, very impressive, basically. Quite the resume. Mm. Well, not episode nine. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, definitely not episode nine. But seriously, in ten years, I would absolutely love to see like a full expose on all this stuff and actually get to learn exactly what were these scripts what were these stories that they were trying to tell because yeah that stuff is just totally my jam i'm fascinated by it yeah i'm still curious about episode seven with michael Arndt because i know we have some details and obviously like they have the concept art of those early versions of what would end up being ray finn and kylo the jedi killer but Mm. i would like to see a script wouldn't that be cool yeah that'd be so so cool um And yeah, just to end on a more positive note, rather than talking about the large pile of discarded ideas that surround the sequel trilogy, I am really excited, like you, Kirsty, that JJ is saying that he had these ideas early on, that he's happy that he can now fulfil. And yeah, I kind of think back to him on the commentary and saying, now we get back to the story we really care about, Ray and Kylo fighting in the forest. And I know that JJ will care about the whole story, but I do, in particular, sense that those two characters are really like the core of everything for him. And yeah, I think he's probably particularly excited about telling their story, though I'm sure he also has good ideas for everyone else. Yeah, I think that's true for him, and I think that's true for a lot of people who are involved with the sequel trilogy. I feel like that became pretty clear with The Last Jedi. Yeah, I think if anything, one of the issues with The Last Jedi is that it became a bit too clear. <laughs> Right. I hope that Finn still gets a good story for Nine too. Yeah, definitely. And to be honest, I think that JJ has a strong chance of success with that. Because in episode seven, you never feel that Finn is being given something to do for the sake of giving Finn something to do. You know, his story is very like wrapped up in the whole central story and the central conflict. And I think that JJ will probably write that again. And not obviously not in the same way. He's not going to repeat what he did of episode seven, but I like to think that he's going to bring things together more and keep things like all tied together in a more close way. So I, I obviously love The Last Jedi, don't get me wrong, but each character very clearly and very much by design has their own pathway through that story and they only really link up again at the very, very end. And yeah, I'm excited to see the storytelling handled differently. Yeah, I think we talked when we did our very early like prediction episodes for episode nine. Structurally, it would make sense for, like you say, everything to come back together and for Finn to be more entwined with that force aspect of the plot as well as the politics and war side. Yeah. Because um, it makes for some really interesting potential conflict. Exactly. And I think also vice versa. I think we're going to have to see Rey and Kylo become more involved with like the macro stuff again. Because their story in The Last Jedi felt so like personal and intimate. And obviously there are much bigger ramifications to their choices and what they do together. But they only start but... to face that at the end, right? Yeah, they, exactly. They almost remember, wait, we're on opposite sides of a war here. Yeah, So exactly. now they have to grapple with that reality. Yeah, I think that's very much going to come into focus. And there's lots of interest in potential there. Right, then the next thing that we have is that we have rumours indicating that an Obi-Wan movie is to go before the cameras in the spring of 2019, which feels scarily close. (laughs) Um, Right, so this is from Fan for Tracks. 
In a Fan for Tracks exclusive, we can reveal that studio-based pre-production has officially begun on an Obi-Wan Kenobi Star Wars movie, and that filming will take place in 2019 for a 2020 release. The long-rumoured movie has never been officially announced, but a director, long-rumoured to be Stephen Daldry, and a writing team are understood to have been working on the movie since late last year. However, our well-placed source has seen sight of documents that confirm the following. The project is sufficiently along that an art department is now in full pre-production mode at Pinewood Studios England, with ancillary work being carried out at Industrial Light and Magic in London. A number of concept artists, prop modellers and storyboard artists are working as a team across the two locations on the film, with the group growing in numbers every month. Contracts have also been extended to a number of crew who have worked on various Star Wars films produced at Pinewood under the Disney era to join the production when their work on Episode Nine ends. This will see the Obi-Wan crew grow gradually over the remainder of the year, but primarily from October onwards. Pre-production will continue at Pinewood while Episode Nine shoots from this summer through the end of the year, at which point production of the Obi-Wan movie has been scheduled to move on to stages in mid-January 2019, with the main shoot to begin in April of 2019. The project has been developed under the corporate name of PLT Productions UK Limited. The scheduled release date is December 2020. So, first of all, bravo to fan for tracks. I've heard about that site for a while, but I've never known them to have an exclusive like this before, and this is quite the exclusive. And there have been various other sources who've come out supporting this. So, for example, on the Star Wars Leaks subreddit, they had someone who could present the moderators with proof approach them and although they didn't feel comfortable like posting it under their own name the moderators posted on their behalf that they had this proof that the film was about to go into production and so yeah seems like it's happening how do you feel Kirsty? i mean i will look forward to an obi-wan movie when it's announced but i've got to say i don't every time i read one of these endless rumors about it i'm like yeah it's probably going to happen I'm I I don't care to <laughs> talk about this too much because it's like yeah they're going to announce new spin-offs once Han Solo is out there and people have processed it. Mm. I, maybe I just sound really grumpy. I don't know, but I'm just like <laughs> I'm kind of bored of hearing about the endless rumors for it. It's like yeah, we heard months ago that Stephen Daldry was involved. Like this isn't news. Mm. I, I I don't know. Maybe you can tell me I'm being silly, but I'm just like yeah. <laughs> I don't really know what else to say. You're not being silly, but all the stuff about the timings is news, definitely. Because basically we had a big black hole after episode nine. I guess, but I, I just figured, like, what else is it going to be? Of course it'll be an Obi-Wan spin-off. They've been talking about it for years. I think you had greater <laughs> confidence in Lucasfilm's scheduling ability than I did. Because I just wasn't sure if they were going to maybe have like a little bit of a pause and be like, hang on, guys, we need to think about this. But of course, it's not going to work like that because they need money. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, Ewan McGregor was at the premiere this week. I feel like he wouldn't be there unless something was going on. Yes, um, this is true. So, yeah, I think it's happening. And I'll look forward to the movie, but uh, I don't know. I can't really think beyond Solo, Episode Nine, live action, the animated series right now for like a hypothetical yeah. thing that's in the future. I do still wonder what kind of story they're going to be able to tell about Obi-Wan in this time period. So it's Same. obviously going to be about Obi-Wan's exile on Tatooine when he's basically meant to be like supervising Luke. And like, what story is there <laughs> to tell in that time period? I mean, maybe there is a threat to Luke at some point and he has to thwart it because obviously Luke has this perceived idea of nothing happens on Tatooine. I'm so bored. I need to get out of here. But for all he knows, there have been tons of people trying to come for him and Obi-Wan's been protecting him. <laughs> so maybe That's they're... actually like a hilarious comedy sketch. If it just takes place over a few days within like a 19-year period, I think that's okay. You know? Yeah. No, that, that is permissible to me. Like what you just said though, Kirsty, it's really like filled my head with like scenarios like 
Luke is just like having his cereal like with the blue milk, like at the kitchen table on the homestead, <laughs> and like you think it's all innocent, and then you like cut away to like a sniper, and you see like the sniper's view of like Luke's head, and they're clearly just about to take the shot, and then like Obi Wan comes up and like chops the head off with the lightsaber. He was using the name Skywalker. Okay, they couldn't even <laughs> be bothered to give him a fake name. <laughs> I've seen so many, like, BS explanations for that. Like, oh, Skywalker is a really common name in the galaxy. And it's just like being called Smith. And it's kind of like, well, yeah, but surely, like, he look, he's staying with, like, the stepbrother of Anakin, who became Vader. It doesn't take, like, a genius. Who was from Tatooine himself. <laughs> Gee, I wonder if these two people could be related. Hey, hang on, he even looks a bit like that Anakin kid did. What is this? So, yeah. I love these dumb space movies. It's so funny. I know. At a certain point, you've got to be like, yeah, does it really make sense? (laughs) That would never happen. Yeah. (laughs) But it might in a galaxy far, far away. But yeah, I I love Ewan as Obi Wan. Um, so if they have him back and they're making an Obi Wan movie, I'm d- totally down for it. I'm just yeah, I I just I'm bored of the rumors. <laughs> like I just like yeah. if you're doing it, announce it. Yeah, and and they will soon. I'm guessing because especially if this is out there and it's legit, because Solo's going to be out soon, and then people are going to be like, well, what's next? Yeah, I think they are going to be announcing so much after Solo has come out. So I think right now they're kind of like a bottleneck where there's Mm. all this stuff in the pipeline. And they technically could announce it. Lucasfilm's got to know what's happening. I'm sorry, they must. But they clearly just don't want to make it public because they don't want to detract from Solo and take attention away from that. Because you know for a fact that if they officially announce an Obi-Wan movie, everyone would just be zoning on all that and be like, oh my god, Hugh McGregor's Obi-Wan, I can't wait for this, it's going to be amazing. Um... (laughs) And yeah, so it makes sense, but you're right, and that is also a bit frustrating. So it's kind of like, look, we all know, we all know this is coming. Why are you still pretending it's not? Yeah, especially as I think last year, Kathleen Kennedy said they were going to decide over the summer and then announce something and <laughs> didn't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Don't turn into the boy who cried wolf, uh, Kathy. <laughs> but yeah, like, we've never look. had any doubt that there's going to be a new Star Wars movie every year now, so it was just a matter of time. Exactly. It's going to be a new Stars movie every month. No, that would be horrible. <laughs> they could eventually get to a Marvel level, though, where it is every few months. Yeah, that's true. I could kind of tolerate two a year. That would be okay. But three a year, it kind of feels like that's a breaking point. But I guess it just depends on how good they are. If they're good, that makes everything okay. So Yeah, I mean, eventually we might get to the point where we're like, you know what, I'm not going to see this Star Wars movie in the cinemas. Dun, dun, dun. You know, there's, if there's so much, it's like, yeah, I mean, I haven't seen every Marvel movie in the cinemas, so. Yeah, no, this is true. So I'm sure it's, it's natural there are going to be certain, like, strands that we like more than others. So, for example, if, like, we see the first, like, Benioff and Weiss film and we're not too hot on it, it might be like, uh, yeah, it's fine, but I'm not sure I'm going to rush out to see the next one. Mm-hmm. Whereas it might be like with the Ryan Johnson trilogy, like, oh my god, this is amazing, I love it, I can't wait for more. You know, so we will see. Right, so I think that's all the news wrapped up, um, and we're then going to skip on to a question from Willis. Ahoy! Do you think Leia will be in Resistance, which is the new animated show that's coming? It seems like they can't tell that story without her, and I imagine the series has been planned since before Carrie died. I'm assuming they didn't mention Leia because it's so sad thinking about someone else playing her, although it's not like that's uncommon in animation. It's obviously a difficult one, because if this series continues past Last Jedi, it could be the place where we see Leia's ultimate end. May the Force be with you. Um, I kind of think she'd have to be in Resistance in some capacity, because she's the leader of it. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think she's going to be in it. Yeah, I think she'll have to be. And to be honest, I don't think the absence of Carrie will be will be strange in that at all. Because I'm not sure Carrie has ever voiced Leia for animation. It's always been different actresses doing the voice for her. Is that right, Kirsty, as far as you know? 
Yeah, so it's Shelby Young who voices her in Force of Destiny and I think in Star Wars Rebels. That's mm-hmm. obviously a young Leia, so that's around like original trilogy um, era. But they've also had young and old actors for Han in Force of Destiny, depending yes. on the timeline of the episode. So I feel like it's totally possible that they could find a new voice actor. Also, oh, do they literally have different actors for Han? Yep. Yep, they have young Han and they have old Han, and neither of them are Harrison Ford or Alden. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that makes complete sense to me because I was thinking I'm not sure I could buy like the young Leia voice as older Leia because Carrie in the recent films she does have like a much more like raspy, like older woman's voice, mm-hmm. you know. So I think it would kind of have to be about finding a middle ground because you can't just have her sound like she did when she was 19. <laughs> I guess, but they've also had Mark Hamill back for the Forces of Destiny episode. <laughs> yeah, but that's just strange. <laughs> that's a cute little fan service thing, isn't it, really? It is. It doesn't seem right. I'm sorry, Mark, I love you. But... I think it's very cute that they had him do that. Um... It's very cute. I, and I kind of like it when it's like one line. Like, I can kind of deal with that better than when he's like doing like full dialogue. Like in that episode with Luke and Yoda. It just didn't work for me. Yeah. So yeah, I expect to see Leia, but I don't expect her to be a main character because even Poe isn't going to be a main character. He's just going to be in the show to some capacity. Yeah. And I think it will be kind of like what we were discussing with the John Favreau show. I think we'll hear lots of mentions of these characters. And while I do think they'll probably show up occasionally, it's not going to hinge on them by any means. Do you think we'll get Amalyn Holdo? Oh, I'd really like to. That'd be great. And that'd be so interesting as well, because as far as the storytelling in The Last Jedi goes, I get the impression that Holdo is kind of spearheading her own like faction or division of the Resistance, mm-hmm. and that it was kind of operating separately from like Leia's operation of it. Yeah. And yeah, I'd like to see what that relationship was like. Yeah, I wonder if we'll get Rose and Paige turning up at some point as well. Yeah. Because you know Kelly will be down for voicing an animated rose again yeah and i'd like to hear like Paige have actual dialogue <laughs> yeah that would be nice <laughs> yeah i would very much appreciate that and also of course i really really want to see um finn like if there is like an infiltration into the first order like i think that you could earn that you know mm-hmm. it would still be coincidental of all the thousands of stormtroopers i just happen to run into finn yeah but star wars is like that <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's like, come on, just give it to us. You know it makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I want more Finn. Yeah. Um, thank you for the question. We're really excited yeah. about Resistance. So I guess if it's happening in the fall, we'll get more information relatively soon. They're going to yeah. start promoing that. So. Exactly. I don't think this year is going to be as quiet as I feared it would be, to be honest, <laughs> which is nice. <laughs> yeah, they want to keep things ticking over. It's not, it's, like, it's not like a long wait for episode nine. You know? It's like it's going to be filled with actual other stories. <laughs> yeah. So lots of stuff to tide us over, basically. That's it for this week's episode of Scavenger's Horde. You can find me at Star Wars Nonsense on Tumblr and at Journal of the Star Wars on WordPress. Where can people find you, Kirsty? I'm Bastila Bay on Tumblr and Kirsty of Jakku on Twitter. And you can also find us at Scavenger's Horde on Twitter, too. Thank you so much for listening, and until next time, bye! Bye!